All right, good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and get started here. Glad to see you all here this morning. This morning we are in Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and open us with prayer. Lord, I thank you that we're here this morning so we can listen to your word, especially uh, the book of Hebrews, Lord, which speaks so much about Christ. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful for the opportunity to study and to, and to relay the information that I have learned. I think it's going to be beneficial for us, Lord, and I ask that your Holy Spirit would, would deliver the message with power and effectiveness. Lord, that you would bless your people as we consider Jesus Christ the most exalted one, Lord, your, your, your son who was obedient to the point of death. Lord, we ask that we would have a fresh vision of him today, that, that he would be lifted up and that we would see the glory of God in his face and that it would, that it would be a, a powerful, Lord, to, to us, Lord, to walk in a way that is, that is pleasing to you. So, Lord, open up your word to us that we may see wonderful things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Hebrews, I'm going to kind of do a little bit, reiterate some of the background information. Um, we know Hebrews seems to address at least th three groups of people from what I can see. There's believing Jews <clears throat> tempted to fall away. There's Jews that might have been intellectually convinced, but not yet regenerated. And there's, there's possibly some among them who are still Christ-rejecting. We know the Jews addressed had experienced persecution in chapter 10, verse 32, verse 32 and 33, and possibly were still experiencing some level of persecution, which could be the cause of the temptation to fall away. In this book, the author is trying to encourage and exhort the believing Jews to continue in the faith. He's trying to encourage the ones still caught up in intellectual assent to the side of faith, offering warnings for rejecting the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, as we'll see in this chapter. The way Hebrews is written, the chapter divisions really do an injustice to the book. The thought of each chapter runs into the next. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 1 for us. Chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. I'm going to stop there. Um, chapter 3 opens with therefore. 
Hebrews uses the word therefore more than any other epistle in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians uses it 11 times as well as Ephesians. Romans uses the word 17 times. Hebrews uses the word therefore 22 times. This therefore beginning in, the chapter, in chapter 3 is taking into consideration all that has been said thus far. Mentioning Jesus as our apostle and high priest. In Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 1, as it's talking about God in these last days has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, I feel like that's making it clear his apostleship. He is the sent one from God. He is our final apostle, true apostle. He is the appointed one who holds all authority which is basically the definition of apostle. Um, and in the latter part of chapter 2, I think it's beginning to set forth his office of high priest. And, and starting in verse 10 and going through to the end of chapter 2, for it was fitting, starting in verse 10, for it was fitting that he for whom and by all things is this, and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. I'm sorry, I want to move to... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. And so I think, you know, verse, chapter 1 and chapter 2, setting up this, you know, the... Jesus as our apostle and high priest. And so and when we get to chapter 3, he's, he's reiterating that, saying, Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, like I said, it's important because that thought is flowing into chapter 3 um, from chapter 2. Uh, the last verse in chapter 2, verse 18, for he, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now he's, he's transitioning now into the thought of chapter 3, and that's the verse he uses. He's able to help those who are being tempted. And like I spoke about in my introduction, you know, they're tempted to go back to Judaism. They're tempted to fall away. This could be because, like, like I said, the persecution, you know, it, it, they might be ostracized, you know, they're missing their, their friends or family or whatever it may be, you know, going to the temple. And so, but he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, in verse 1, I want to focus on this word confession. Um, it seems, from, my, from what I study, it seems this word confession, he's really including everybody who has professed faith in Christ, not just those who are true believers. We don't know who the true believers are. We, we count everyone who makes a profession as the, the visible body of Christ. And I think that's what he's doing here. He's, he's saying he's the apostle and high priest of our confession. The word confession really means agreement or to agree with, to acknowledge. And so anyone who, especially being a Jew, to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and is God is a big thing like we see in Romans 
uh, chapter 10, you confess with the mouth of Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and I think that, that confession carries more weight for the Jews because that was like immediate persecution for them. And so I think that's very important, that word there, confession. Um, I'll go ahead and read verse, chapter 3, verses 2 to 6, and then we'll go in and talk about some of it. Who was faithful, talking about Jesus, to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as a builder of the house has more glory than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was, was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and, boast, and our boasting and our hope. The comparison of Moses and Christ that is starting to unfold here, I believe will be the basis for the majority of the rest of the epistle. And I'll go ahead and ask a question. Why do you think it's important that the author is starting with Moses here? Good morning. Morning. Um, blessings, health, and safety to everyone. Because Moses was a servant, and he was just the builder of the house. However, when Christ came, he was the owner of the house. He was the house. That's a good point. Anybody else? First of all, it's establishing the authority of, the, of all of the scripture. The Old Testament is being established here. And all of the Jews would obviously know that Moses was a faithful servant, man of God, who brought the Ten Commandments down after, after hearing from God directly. So it, it gives the credence of the Old Testament and then puts that to, to Jesus. So it's Moses was a messenger, and now it's, he, as they're about to show, now the message is Christ because the message is greater than the messenger, and uh, this is a—they're showing that very vividly in this this part right here. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> that is uh, very—that's very important. What Craig just said. Um, the answer I have written down uh, to the Jews: the law of Moses was the most important revelation of God, for through Him the law was delivered and all the customs that they observed. Among many other very important figures in the Old Testament, Moses stands out above the rest for the Jews. This was something that, when, I was, when I was, we were just talking about earlier, when I was studying this, I, I really had no idea. It was uh, like kind of why is he talking about Moses here? What's the importance of that? And that's kind of where my study uh, started at with me. And um, it's really uh, interesting. And so... Yeah, to, for the Jews, Moses was the most prominent figure. Um, and I have some, uh, a few passages that show the importance of Moses. And I'll just read them. You don't have to turn there. John chapter 5, verse 45. 
Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. You see, they have set their hope on Moses. For the Jews, he was everything. In John chapter 9, 28 and 29, And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. Verse 29, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And so, see, they're tied up with Moses and the law that he delivered to them. For a Jew, that's life. That's everything for them. In Acts 6.11, they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And in chapter 6.13 of Acts, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses delivered to us. And see, they were trying to protect what they had. You know, that was their life, was, was the customs and law that Moses gave them. These are just a few verses, and if you would search the word Moses in the New Testament, there are many more that show the importance of Moses to the Jews. Moses was the one through whom some of the most notable miracles would be performed, delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt, parting the Red Sea, providing food and water in the wilderness, speaking with God face to face. The glory of God shone from his face so that he had to wear a veil. Not only this, but the entire system of the way of life came through Moses. The sacrificial system, the tabernacle, the priesthood, all of which would be compared to Christ, as I said, in the rest of this epistle. Now, I think it's very tactful and wise how the author compares Moses here, saying in verse 2, speaking of Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful. It's almost, it's almost like he knows, like, if I just say Jesus is better than Moses, he's going to offend some people. And... Um, I think it's very wise the way he does this. Moses was faithful. Jesus was faithful. They're both faithful. That's the comparison. Um, there's, there's a lot of comparisons that can be drawn out from, between Moses and Christ. But I, I want to ask another question here. What does it mean that Moses was faithful? Anyone? Does it mean that he was sinless? Um, no, it doesn't mean that he was sinless. He absolutely wasn't sinless, and by the fact that he didn't enter the promised land is an indication of that. However, he believed God and obeyed God, and actually he defended the Israelites to God when he was fed up with them. He was... It was really hard, and uh, God was even threatening to wipe them out and start over with Moses, and he said he interceded for them as an example of Jesus interceding for us. So, Yeah, that's almost exactly what I have uh, written down. <laughs> um, anybody else want to chime in? The answer I have written down... Oh. One more. Piggyback in. Yeah, no, he was not sinless. He murdered somebody and buried them and hid it. And had, that's why he had to run away and hide. And then he also just, even though he was faithful and God gave him the tablets, he got mad at the Israelites and broke the tablets. So he wasn't sinless and he wasn't perfect. However, he did remain faithful and as best he could, and following God's instructions. 
Amen. The answer that I have written down is, he carried out God's will in, in Revelation fulfilling the work that God had called him to do. Um, as, sa- as it says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, uh, and this is God speaking, and he said, Hear my words, if there is a prophet, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. So that's God himself saying Moses was faithful. This is not implying that he was sinless or that, or that he obeyed the Lord perfectly. We know he wasn't able to enter the promised land, like Dan said, um, uh, because he struck the rock twice, at the, uh, struck the rock twice where the water flowed from uh, in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. It is simply comparing both of them as faithful. Just as Moses fulfilled God's plans, so too Christ fulfilled his father's plans of redemption, which required him to be sinless as our spotless lamb. The next part of this comparison is the contrast. It says, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more as a builder of the house has more than the house itself. Again, pointing to the deity of Christ. This is some of the plainest language about who Christ is. Um, in my study, uh, the word house here is interesting, and I've heard, I've heard some people interpret it kind of differently, and I think just looking at the, the plain text, um, you know, it's talking about Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more than the house itself. I think that's a direct reference that Mo- Moses would have been a part of, or the house that he's talking about building, because it's going to move on and say, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Now Moses was a part of God's house, which is, I believe is his people, and he was faithful as a servant in the house. Um, and a very important part as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Now, Christ is obviously is comparing him, saying he's the builder of the house, but he's also the son of the house, um, o- over the house. And the difference is Moses was in the house, and it's saying Christ is over the house. I think that's important, uh, important words there. Um, and then I think that this verse is important, and I want to say something. To testify to the things that were to be spoken later, I think what that's saying is basically that all these things that Moses did was pointing to Christ. Everything was pointing to the one who was going to actually redeem the real Israel, um, was going to actually, you know, set up. Uh, he was a true lawgiver. He magnified the law of God. Uh, um, and so all these things that Moses did is pointing to, you know, the, the, the fulfillment of, of Christ and his work. Um, Does anyone have any comments about that, the word house? Not necessarily about maybe the word house, but just the idea, and I don't want to jump ahead too far, but 
you know, he'll, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews will go on and say in chapter 8, verse 5, you know, regarding Moses and all of the things that he did, these, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So he's just constructing physical realities of a, of a heavenly pattern. And Christ is the, he's the, the fulfiller of the heavenly the spiritual, the, the true realities, and, Milder, and Moses is just the builder of the pattern that, we, that they see, you know, um, on earth. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's a good point, and I think that's, I think that's what Hebrews is doing. It's showing these things are just, look, these, he, he's, I think it's important that he's saying, uh, you who share in a heavenly calling, he's, he's reminding them that these are just earthly things to remind you, there's signs and symbols and types and foreshadows of a true heavenly, you know, uh, uh, of the true heavenly reality. And I, I think that's, that's really important. That's, I mean, the book of Hebrews in a nutshell is comparing the Old Testament and the, looking back at the ways they've done things and, and um, showing the reality fulfilled in Christ and, and in heaven. Um, now, I'm going to go ahead and read verse verses 7 through 11. And this is just quoting from Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. <clears throat> and again, this is just this is quoting Psalm uh, 95. And, um, you know, it really, in my, in my study, I, I, looking at this, you know, I, I was thinking about Israel in the wilderness. Um, and you know when they when they came out of Egypt almost immediately when they got into the desert the wilderness they began to grumble and complain um, and as you read throughout their journey in the wilderness it's basically all they did they grumbled and complained argue with Moses um, they, they weren't satisfied and I um, at the, you know, at the waters of, of Meribah, as it calls it, when Moses struck the rock, they said they were, they were complaining again to Moses, saying, we're going to die of thirst. Why would you bring us out here? It would have been better for us to die back there in Egypt. And it's like this, this whole time they're just disbelieving in what God has said he's going to do, though they've seen all the miracles. I mean, they've seen the Red Sea part and the entire Egyptian army get covered in water, and they walk through probably without getting a drop of water on them. They've seen the manna come down from heaven, and then when they, that wasn't good enough, the, the quail. You know, it was like one thing after another, and here they are, you know, complaining again. And Moses has had enough, right? He hits a rock twice. I think he's just had enough. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I think starting, you know, and chapter 3, he's talking about Moses, and then he's bringing this example. I think it, it goes well um, to what he's going to give us a warning here. 
Um, you know, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore was I provoked with that generation and said they, do, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. And I think, uh, like I've said before, I think, you know, it's very, it's very dangerous to be around the truth and not be of the truth. It, it's, you do not want to play around with, you know, with the Lord um, in that regard. You're basically rejecting, I mean, if you know, like especially in Reformed churches, you know the truth of Scripture and you believe it, and you're not a believer, and you continue to sin and provoke God, I would be very scared of that verse 11, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And we know God is sovereign, but we don't know how that plays out. Um, I mean, he's sovereign over all things, but he warns people. He, 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 he commands us to repent and believe, and he warns us that, you know, some people, like it says in Romans, you know, he gave them up. And so there, there, there is, I think, a point when you fill up the measure of your sin, and God says, enough. Um, and so, a very stark warning that he has here. And... I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the chapter. He's going, to, he's going to exhort us now. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter in because of unbelief. Now, just going back, and I think it's important that he's saying, exhort one another every day. I think that's important. I think we should be doing that. Exhort one another every day. He's not saying when someone seems down and low. He's saying every day. We should be constantly exhorting each other. That's part of our fellowship. That's why fellowship is important. That's why, you know, you never know what someone's going through. Sometimes people don't speak up. They may be tempted, you know, or they may be struggling in some way we should speak the word of God fluently to our brothers and sisters. It's very important. And I think that, that's why it's in here every day. I mean, that's, I'd never seen that before until I looked at it closely. And he says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, I think this obviously, speaking of perseverance of the saints, um, for we, we know um, the, the saints will persevere. The evidence of your faith is that you continue to have faith, that you continue to believe, that you continue to repent. 
if anyone falls away, it's evidence that they never truly believed. Or how could you, how, and just, I mean, thinking here, how could you come to know the only true and living God and then turn away from him and pretend he doesn't exist? I think that's impossible. I think that's like me knowing my wife, you know, walking away one day and saying, I don't know who that is. I'm lying to myself. I know who she is. I think it's, it's an impossibility for someone to, you know, to know God and then to, to somehow become an atheist. And so, and I, I think this is an important point as getting to here. Um, like the, just a quote from another place. It says, they went out from us, from among us, for they were not of us, for if they were of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. And we have to be careful here because it's saying, who did, he, you know, who did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter him because of unbelief. Now, there, there's, I just learned this a few days ago. It might have been around for a while. But there is some movement going around called the Federal Vision. And I never knew what this was until I started researching it. And apparently there's some guys in this that are, that are suggesting that we are perfected by our works. And they're using very ambiguous terminology to suggest that, you know, um, yes, we're saved by faith. They, I think they even come from a Reformed background, and, but they're, they're, they're mincing words and making it sound like, yes, you're saved by faith, but you need to persevere, like it's on you. And I think we need to be very careful because they're using verses like this, saying that we're able to be obedient, or verses like Moses was faithful, and they're trying to argue, like, is it possible to obey God or not? And they, they, they put up a false dilemma. Um, you know, it, it's... I think we just need to be careful because what this is saying is not their obedience was what allowed them into the promised land. It was ultimately their unbelief. It was their faith or lack thereof. Obedience flows through faith. If you have true and living faith, you will obey the Lord. There is no question about it. If you have a problem with obedience, then you have a faith problem. It's just the way it is. That's the way Scripture paints it. They're connected. It is one and the same. If I truly believe that I'm a bird, I'm going to jump off a mountain and try to fly, right? Like, that makes sense. If I said, I believe I'm a bird, and you never see me try to fly, then I don't really believe that I'm a bird. And so I think, I think that's important. We need to be beware of how these, there's no new heresy under the sun, but we need to be careful because it takes on new names, new terminology, and it can be very deceitful. And so we need to be careful and, and know what we believe. Verse 16 is making a point, I think I'm going to reiterate what I just said. Um, verse 16 is making a point that has a meaning for us today. When, when I read this, I sense this is directly applied to those who are intellectually convinced of Christ. Maybe they have made a profession of faith, but there is no true living faith in the ever-living one. In verse 19, it says that they were unable to enter in because of unbelief. It calls them disobedient. In verse 18, obedience is a fruit of a living faith. What is the answer for those who are unbelieving or who are tempted to draw back from Christ? The answer is in the first verse. Consider Jesus. And I'm going to move on to my exhortation. 
The answer is in the first verse, consider Jesus. That could be the name of this book, consider Jesus. It is the balm for all ailments. The word consider here is not meant to just simply look at a little bit, but to behold, to examine, to stare intently, the way a jeweler turns diamond and the light to see all the facets, all the facets of it and the beauty of it from every angle. Set your gaze upon him. What is your ailment today? Are you sorrowful? Consider Jesus. Are you lonely? Consider Jesus. Are you struggling with a sin that you can't overcome? Consider Jesus. Are you doubtful? Consider Jesus and his compassion to Thomas who doubted. Are you not sure you have believed truly? Consider Jesus who was lifted up just like the serpent in the wilderness and all who look will be healed. Look and live, simply look to him. See him there upon that cross and know that it was for your sins he died. Consider Jesus who bore the full weight of the wrath of God to redeem you. I submit to you the answer to any and all problems is to consider Jesus. As it says in chapter 12 of Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look to him and let all these things grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's all the material I have, so if there's any comments or questions, it's free for us to talk about things in chapter 3. I thought that was well summarized. It's, it's considered Jesus. I mean, the whole point of persevering and holding fast to the end is if we're focusing on Jesus and not grumbling about our problems and all the things that you just listed, well, just keep considering Jesus in any of these circumstances and whatever feelings we have, doesn't matter whatever circumstances we're in, doesn't matter, consider, and we sing the song, fix your eyes upon Jesus, right? And that's what you alluded to. Yeah. It's, that's what this is all about. <clears throat> yeah, I, think, I mean, I think that's what the book is doing, right? It's look at, look at Jesus, he's holding him up and, and allowing us to look at him. Go ahead. Something humorous from the secular world, even today. What would Jesus do? Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of cliche, but I think it's, it's good. It's a good motto to, to live by, right? Anybody else questions or comments? Okay, I'll go ahead and close this in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for the grace that you have given me to allow me to be in this position. And, and I just ask, Lord, that <clears throat> anything that I said could be used by you to help a, a brother or sister in Christ or to help somebody make that step of faith in Christ. And, and Lord, I, I pray that I have submitted to you and, and what I have uh, uh, conveyed, Lord, to your people. I ask, Lord, for your spirit to give life. Lord, I ask that you would bless the rest of today in worship as, as Pastor Nick brings the word from Romans, Lord, that we, would, that we would have ears to hear and that your spirit would be upon him to bless the word. Lord, we ask that you would have preeminence and receive all the glory today as we worship. I thank you, Lord, for this time and I thank you for today for this is the day that you have made, and we will be glad and rejoice in it. 
And we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.